Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Dr. Stephen Rowley, who is a psychotherapist practicing in Washington. His past professional experience includes serving as a principal and a school district superintendent. He's been a college professor at three universities and received his PhD from Stanford University. In today's episode, we talk about his new book, The Lost Coin, A Memoir of Adoption and Destiny. Welcome to Lifeology. Thanks very much, James. Glad to be here. I am looking forward to this. Always great to talk to a fellow psychotherapist, but we are definitely going to yeah. showcase you and all your expertise, and I'm lo- really looking forward to this. So how did you decide that you wanted to get become a psychotherapist? Well, I became, I'm not sure it's in the introduction, I, I didn't become a psychotherapist until I was 68 years old. So I had a long career oh. in education, uh, both oh. K-12 and higher ed. Uh, it actually was over lunch, lunch when I was bemoaning the fact that I was too old to, to become a psychotherapist. I had friends say, well, what's keeping you anyway? I said, I couldn't answer that. So, but it, it, it was a, it was a, it was, I would call it a dream deferred. I started reading Freud and other uh, analysts and also including Jung when I was very young. And also those, those sort of parallel interests in mythology, uh, very influenced by uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, also later James Hillman, James Hollis. So those people were running that, those ideas were running parallel uh, with the rest of my career. But when this, when I was sort of tired of doing what I was doing in a, in an online university, I just jumped at the chance. So once I got to Pacifica, even though I was much older than even many of the instructors and professors, <laughs> this was a it really felt like home. And I kind of yeah. launched from there. I think in terms of my own, my own. It's in the book. It's uh, even a uh, my own sort of uh, 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 avenues of different kind of learning that I took on on my own. So mm. and it, that started and it's still going. That's amazing. Now we'll get to your personal backstory as far as the being adopted, et cetera, in just a second. But to what drew you to education then, if you did it for so long? Pardon me. What drew you to education? So you're working as a as a teacher, as a as a superintendent, oh. as a principal. Where did I get my education? No. What what drew you to become an educator? Oh, I think you know, spun out of the spun out of the sixties, spun out of. Uh, the radical days at the University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. 1967, 1971. Tanks, bayonets, tear gas. There was a, there was a killing from oh. a bombing. And I decided oh. at some point, in terms of, of contributing, rather than just being protesting all the time, I felt so strongly about uh, contributing in some way. Plus, I was really influenced by a book called Summerhill by 
A.S. Neal, a different way of learning, a different kind of schooling. So that stuck with me. And it, there's a there's a whole through line in the book about my uh, passion around visionary schools and creating schools that were really meant to work for kids and so forth. So it, it came it came from there and it stayed with me. Plus, I had an aunt who was a who was a forty year teacher. I suppose that rubbed off on me a bit too. So, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a whole different experience. One yeah. thing is the vision for new schools. The other is is uh, running into school boards and bureaucracies and so forth. So. In, I, yeah, I think in more about that, I'm sure there's great to see a lot of the kids. So to work with a lot of different children, I'm sure was very, we found some similarities and parallels between them and yourself as well. Right. But I think when I, I after teaching, I went to Stanford and uh, I TA'd and ROA'd and took classes from some of the best minds at the time. And uh, uh, I'm still in contact with some of them. And uh, uh, those ideas, th- those compelling ideas about leadership just took hold. And I, I mm. rode that horse for a long time. Wow. Let's start this into your book, the, the Lost Coin, A Memoir of Adoption and Destiny. Why did, what, tell us about this book. What's it about? Well, it's, a, it, it's about my lifelong search for my birth parents. And mm. to be very brief about it, the first half of the book is actually uh, tracking down my birth mother. Uh, and I did by the time I was age 40. Lots of de- couple decades of struggling with uh, bureaucracies and sealed records and mm-hmm. so forth. But I also got some breaks from a couple of people from my former adoption agency who let, I found out my own name. I found out the name and, and hometown mm. of my birth mother. I went there. I found her picture in a, in a uh, class yearbook, 1944, and uh, wrote people in the county with the same name, said, do you know her? Where is she? Weeks later, I got the name, uh, and I wrote her the address back in the East mm. Coast. And eventually, by 1980, fall of 87, I, I, with my new half-sister, I, I came knocking on her door. But as some, wow. somebody warned me in doing that, remember, you won't find Elizabeth Taylor when you got there. What, what I found, <laughs> what, I, what I knew coming was that she was in, a, in state-sponsored housing. She had just got, come out of, mm-hmm. a, of, out of a halfway house, had huge trouble problems with drugs and alcohol. But the, the upside of the whole story, when I did meet her, despite those horrible circumstances, as she let in her, her kitchen, uh, told me about all the books that were in storage. She had 500 books, and that set light bulbs off in my head. Then she pointed to a, a poster on the wall, and uh, she, I said, "Oh, I say you, you've been to the National Gallery." And she goes, "Oh, of course. This is Kandinsky. This is the, you know." Then she launches wow. into this story, art history lesson about Kandinsky's uh, transition from Russia to Europe, rest of the Europe. And anyway, we had a moment or two that are that are it's a it's a Kleenex jerker for sure, uh, where we where we really had this one on one. It was like a Spock mind meld. It was like wow. she opened up, I opened up. And the whole reason for coming there uh, was known in an instant. That that yeah. and having her t- tell me what she that she did remember every every time I my birthday came up. So, but that's a long oh, wow. story. Uh, that, yeah. that part was, it, and, was and that's all in the book as well. Yes. Oh yeah. Well, that's. I mean, you said so much so that we could have a whole like five shows about that. If, if, if I may ask, so did you know you were adopted when you were? I don't know when you were given up for adoption. Yes. Did you know it you was adopted? it was a condition. It was a condition of the adoption agency. So my mom and dad. Were, told that they had to and i think they were glad they did and so no i always knew that i was and it was it was always accompanied by the by the story that you know you're special and uh mm. um, and that sort of set set it apart and it was never a question of about their love for me but it, but at age 13 when i asked my mother told her that i wanted to know more and she was infuriated and said what's the matter don't you think mm. we love you enough and uh, from that moment on, it, it set me in motion for the rest of my life, yeah. Uh, yeah. trying to track them down. It was just 
one yeah. of those things, which is a burning passion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that was very difficult to, to hear that you're special. I mean, uh, that, that's an interesting word choice to use. I understand why they would use that word, but how did you interpret special? Well, I don't know. I, I, I in, the, in the book, I said, well, okay, I'm special. That's good. I think all kids ought to be told they're yeah. special. <laughs> but then I said in the book, well, what about my the following brothers and sisters that they had? That are younger mm -hmm. than me, or weren't they special too? It's more of a rhetorical mm -hmm. question, yeah. but it, it does make there was a sense of being chosen, and I think yeah. because of the circumstances of my, not only my birth and the search, but everything in my life, it was sort of like this book became, all you know, uh, I don't want to put this. It became my. It was sort of like Campbell's uh, hero's return, hero's journey. I needed to bring this story back to other mm -hmm. adoptees who've gone through, mm -hmm. and with my knowledge as a psychotherapist. Yeah. A, yeah. a much deeper understanding of, of the experience of the adoptee. And even though I've had great success, great parents, there's still that, that, that uh, primal Correct. wound. Yeah. I believe yeah, it's there. Right. Being, being adopted in, I don't know if you have siblings uh, adopted or um, siblings in that no. family system. So to, to have your parents, you know, your mom said, do, do, don't, you, don't we love you enough? But to have that distance, because you know you weren't their biological child, did you feel different? Did you, you felt that disconnect or that wall between them? Well, as far as by the time, well, by the time I got to be oh, in my teens, uh, it was more noticeable. I don't look like anybody mm -hmm. in the family. Uh, oh, their okay. interests are all the same. Uh, I was much more social into sports, really you know, took that, took to schooling. Uh, they were all smart. They've all college educated. My dad was a mm -hmm. surgeon, but they all like to go hunting, camping and fishing. And I just wasn't, I Chris overlapped football season. So I wasn't going to do that. So we just were different in that way. We're still very close. We were yeah. all just together for yeah. a wedding in New York, but, but still those differences, I think as time went on, became more pronounced, mm -hmm. uh, more in terms of, of the, the special destiny I seem to have because of my adoption, mm -hmm. more than the fact I mean, we don't, we don't, we definitely get along. We're a, a pretty tight family, but uh, yeah. still that it, it sets them apart. And I, having that now they've read the book, I, I don't think it's done anything to, to change that. Yeah, I'm sure. Now I, I'd like to generalize here. So obviously all people who are adopted don't have the same methodology or understanding of the world. Right. But so if we can generalize it just for a second, most, most people who are adopted, um, and obviously you're the expert here, you know, as a personally and professionally, Okay. Where, help, help us understand their identity. So how do, they how do they create their identity? How do they understand their place in the world? It's a really big question, the who am I question. It runs mm -hmm. through the book. So we can find by things like, say, uh, 23andMe and Ancestry.com. There's mm -hmm. things we can find out factually about our backgrounds. And for a lot of people, just to find out that is it's enormous success. People who are frustrated to find out who they are. Uh, who their birth parents were and so forth, either biologically or on a, on a, on a, in a family tree. Uh, but the the question begs, and this comes into being a depth psychologist in the Jungian tradition, begs a deeper dive into knowing your own interior life. Uh, you know, understanding the ways in which the unconscious can be has has and continues to affect the past, whether it's from adoption or some other kind of trauma, or even even from a parent that's long deceased, you're still People still act as though we're trying to please that parent or whatnot. So that internal investigation and diving, uh, diving even deeper, as I say in my book, the part of it, the deeper we go into the regions of the soul, let's say, uh, it becomes less clear, becomes more mysterious. In fact, that's how my book ends in using uh, Zen Cohen to talk about the, the mysteries of life. And so I ended up in the book uh, uh, kind of, I think, 
quite, uh, uh, how would I say, confident and pleased with the fact that some things we're not going to know. The questions mm-hmm. themselves yeah. engender search. So this, the idea of searching for this is actually sometimes more important than actually finding. So even after, in my mm-hmm. case, even yeah. after I found my birth mother and, and a couple of years ago, the identity of my birth father came to me, it still does it for some people that'd be bingo that's end of story and a game but for me it becomes more compelling on that deeper level almost existential that who am i and that comes yeah. of course as you know as a therapist it comes up in the in the, the therapy room all the time in one mm-hmm. way or another either directly or yeah. it's 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 hiding in plain sight a lot of times for for individuals who are have adopted or given up for adoption as well how do they when i say they i don't mean in a pejorative way at all and that's i don't mean that in a negative way for these individuals, how do they create relationships? Do they have secure attachments, insecure attachments, excuse me, anxious attachments? What kind of styles? Well, I think generally, I mean, you know, there's other factors in, the, in the, our development, including, uh, uh, yeah, but right. beyond adoption, that can make for either solid bonding or or mm-hmm. insecure or ambivalent sure. and so forth, or being totally neglected. So I would say that it's it's kind of always a bell curve. I mean, for some people, mm-hmm. had adoption. Sure. Got new parents, happily, happily bonded. Mm-hmm. Don't think twice about it. Don't even want to hear it. It could be something unconscious. They don't mm-hmm. uh, particularly uh, subscribe to the idea there's that inner wound. And for some, how do I know? Maybe it's not. Yeah. But yeah. I think for others, I think the others, I think uh, I'm generalizing. I haven't taken a scientific survey that we sure. carry that. We carry that that around. In my case, I, there were four months where I was I was given up at day ten. Uh, for adoption, but I wasn't adopted until I was six months. So for four of those months, I was in a, in a, a what was called a a, fa- a boarding home. I was with probably okay. a, another woman or a couple who I don't know if I was the only one there or other children there. Hmm. Uh, but that that gap in time leaves great questions about what happens when you don't have that that bonding because yeah. that makes me special. It's, it's, I don't really know. Time, yeah. it, it remains again. It remains a mystery. Mm-hmm. But I do think mm-hmm. in general. Uh, in fact, we, I've said that if, uh, if the adoption community had a theme song, it'd be, it'd be uh, Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone. How does it feel to be a, on your own, a complete unknown, no direction home like a rolling stone? I mean, there's that kind of impetus. That, and what Audrey Punnett, a Jungian uh, author, uh, talks about is the orphan, the or, either metaphoric or actually an archetype. Mm-hmm. That inner orphan. Now, if I don't use the word archetype, it sells better to people who are not familiar with <laughs> yeah. using terminology. Yeah. But the of idea course. of this restlessness, this like, I, I am like an orphan. I'm kind of, I'm still wandering out there inside, mm-hmm. maybe not an outer mm-hmm. life. But it, but that's why I think writing this book to help, kind of help expose that. Uh, I've always been very gratified. I'm not surprised, but gratified how many people resonate go, oh, yeah. Well, that yeah. that accounts for that, and you see it in other. Mm-hmm. You see it in like in Danny Shapiro, who wrote the book Inherit, great book. She her she found out in later life that her father was actually a sperm donor that she tracked down oh. very very quickly. But before that, she still calls up calls out the fact of this sort of this not knowing this inner restlessness, not knowing why she, she had no reason to think that her father wasn't her father until at age fifty four she found out that he wasn't, and oh, suddenly things made sense. So. That's mm-hmm. why I say this, the, the effects of, in the conscious and kind of the, sometimes they, they clank around behind us like Marley's ghost, sometimes without even knowing about it. Mm-hmm. Would you say this, perhaps, I don't know if you can speak to this as well. Would you say there's a difference between um, adoptive, adoptive uh, child who doesn't have siblings versus one who does have siblings? 
So not biological siblings, but in, brought into new a new family system. You mean so? Say that again. A difference between. Yeah. So you were you were adopted and you were the only child. And so there's is there a difference you think as far as the um, identity or acceptance or place in the world, if you will, your situation versus an adoptive uh, child who now has siblings? Well, uh, I did. Uh, I did have siblings. I, I have three siblings. Oh, but okay. I, oh I missed two, okay. two other friends who came out of my high school class uh, were the only they were adopted. Mm -hmm. They were the only yeah. child of their family. Uh, I would say. It probably doesn't matter. I don't think if you're adopted or if you had siblings okay. or not. Okay. Um, maybe you have fewer people to compare yourself to. But it also really depends, I think, as you brought this up before, the degree to which uh, your parents, maybe you told you one time you were adopted and let it drop, or it's, or mm -hmm. it's part of the family narrative, mm -hmm. becomes your narrative until you're old enough yeah. to, to develop your own narrative. With or without siblings, I think that's uh, it's, it's, the impetus, I think, or the onus is really on the on the parent to keep that adoption story alive yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and realize that when you're, you know, a young adult, a young parent, you've got an infant. Well, it is, you know, it, that's the adoption story. But as they get older, teenage and beyond, it, it has to, own, it's the adoptee has to own that story. And then they have to, I yeah. think, this is where some of the healing comes in. You begin to change that narrative as you get older. And it begins to pick up more, more in different meaning that wasn't true when you were 13, as opposed to when you were mm, yeah. 63 or whatever, 50 yeah. years down the road. Yeah. I want to go back to the word, you know, use the word special, because often, you know, we see in the movies, for, I, I'm not adopted, so, but you see in the movies, you know, speaking to people like yourself, when they hear that, they often create the narrative as far as what their parent, what was happening with their parents, um, create, create a whole storyline behind, or plot line, rather, why they were given up for adoption. And in that, I mean, obviously trying to find one's identity. Is that something you did as well? Well, let's see if I can answer that slightly differently. I think that what I learned as I got older, that uh, which is true for a lot. In fact, it is for a lot of times a, a couple will have adopt a child and then have later their own children. It's, there's a lot of yeah. that stuff around. Sure. Uh, but I think that the uh, to now realize that the term special also meant special in their lives because I think it was true with my parents and other a couple other. Parents, and this is true for, uh, they didn't think they could have children. Oh, and we're okay. probably up against the wall saying, this is not going to happen. Yeah. And suddenly, yeah. I know from my parents who were through other friends who adopted a girl a year older than me from the same, in fact, a name after that, the, the, the husband of that couple. Uh, then then things change. And suddenly, you're now you've got a kid. And mm -hmm. I, although I don't yeah. think I many knew I was adopted, certainly my parents, friends of my parents knew that I was. And, and the, uh, that was a big deal. Because my dad was fairly prominent as a surgeon in a medium-sized town in Iowa, so uh, I always had that feeling like, "Oh, here's here's little Stevie. He's there. He's the new kid." Mm, <laughs> and yeah. I did it. It conferred something, I think, almost you know, uh, unconsciously in terms of saying being the chosen one means something. What I don't know, but I think, given the the, the fate, other strokes of fate in my life, I think it was uh, destined to because of the adoption, destined to leave. The life I've had. I mean, I had a great, I've had a great career. I've had multiple careers, Stanford on and on, and it's had some major downfalls. There's also some other things in the book that, that show you how, when struck, when a different kind of trauma struck, strikes in later life. In my case, uh, losing my use of my leg athletically in high school after being a football star. Many years later, losing a big job in Silicon Valley as a superintendent in a mm, huge public, huge public uh, uh, psychodrama. 
Uh, when those things hit, it's as though that past comes right back. Yeah, Abandonment, but betrayal, uh, mm-hmm. dissociation. You want to kind of crawl under the, either simultaneously want to crawl under the covers and also come out swinging. So, um, yeah, so that that's the, uh, I think that's, those are the other kind of, you can see that in the arc of other people's lives. And when I see mm-hmm. people in the, uh, in therapy, whether it's a, a adoption or some other kind of early childhood trauma, you see how that, you know, that complex or you're spring loaded to overreact, let's say, maybe sure, not overreact, yeah. but bound to, bound to have strong sure, reaction yeah. when you're sure. up against the same kind of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I know that's, that's very personal as well. With, with individuals who do, do have that experience, that, that, that trauma as a child, is there, there's obviously always hope for them for people who have trauma but what are in your book do you talk about ways in which these people can overcome some of the trauma so they don't have to repeat some of that trauma as if as life happens yeah well for you mean i actually i'm going to pull this out because i i did written this or something else and anticipating might be i I think one of the things if you're the parent of a child who's experienced this and i'll say this could be true for other kinds of trauma as well first of all the parents always want to say they have unconditional love for their kids but in truth a lot of times they they don't quite you know, like we'd love you just a little bit more if you scored that extra goal or yeah. your SAT scores are just a little higher or, you know, you're a little bit nicer at the dinner table. We might love you a little bit more. So this idea of, of, of accepting a kid on their own terms and your job, and we did this with our own son who we adopted at age four, to see inside them and see, you know, help call out their actual deepest essence and say, our job is to help let that bloom from whatever it goes, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, you're a bright kid. We want to make sure you have a good, so we want to make sure you go to law school and become a pharmacist. In our, in our case, our kid went into acting, so we we wanted to support that. So that, that yeah. I think, uh, there's a, in, I think, uh, Orwell in 1984, there's a line that says, better to be seen, that, perhaps better to be seen than loved. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that most adoptees would say, I don't want to become invisible. I want to be seen. So that's yeah. one thing. Yeah. As I mentioned before, the issue of, uh, Having your having your having a parent uh, 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 support their child's curiosity, their own their own uh, narrative, and and if they do want to pursue a uh, search for birth parents, encourage them and support them. If they don't, then yeah. you don't need to. Uh, and when if and when they do connect, uh, they cannot see this somehow as a reflection on you, yeah. you the parent. It has to be. You know, it's possible to have two mothers for different reasons. In my case, my mom, it was always my mom. I, after I met my birth mother, I did not have a mom. But there was another woman who called me her son, and it's a special relationship altogether huh? on a much deeper level. So uh, that's a couple ways, I would say. Uh, and I think also, yeah, it takes uh, realizing for a kid uh, growing up and wrestling with these things, it's, it's really good every now and then to uh, to bring it up, not not to force it on them but to bring up and acknowledge the you know or a story or memory you have and of course the problem with adoptees is that sometimes betrayal on those facts of your past life are, are scarce or non-existent mm. you know, there's sealed records not yeah. always um, and i think also so occasionally sometimes as people get older there's sometimes you're not supposed to find that person they don't want to be found it's fair yeah uh, I've, fair. I've got a client who that's a hard one to swallow, uh, who's yeah. adopted out of south america and uh, Found that his his uh, birth mother and probably birth father were tightly connected, uh, uh, very closely connected to a major drug cartel in South yeah. America, 
That's yeah. and they and they probably don't want to be found. <laughs> yeah, and you probably don't want to find for them for your either. safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciate your expertise today. I mean, we could definitely talk so much more about this, but unfortunately, our time is up. So, if I've used the listeners, yeah. Dr. Stephen Rowley, want to find out more, more information about you and to purchase your book, The Lost Coin: A Memoir of Adoption and Destiny, where will they find all this information online? Well, my website has, of course, they can find the book on Amazon. But uh, my website is my name, Stephen Rowley, S T E P H E N R O W L E Y. 108.com. And there's a whole section in that book about the memoir and your podcast will be on there in, in time and a few other articles on adoption and identity that are in there. So I think it's a good resource for people. Well, what if I really do appreciate your expertise. I mean, this is something obviously you as you personally know and professionally know it. And so it's good to be able to share that with the world as well. And if you're the listeners also know that if you can't find this information any other place, simply go to the show notes at jamesmillerlifology.com and I'll link with Dr. Stephen Rowley and his book, the Lost Coin, a memoir of adoption and destiny. Thank you so much. Once again, I really do appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Thank you. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.